Hello and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. I'm your host, Adam Lyons, and today I am joined by our special guest, Josh Marsden. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Josh is going to be talking about the things that he wish he knew before starting in e-commerce. Josh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem whatsoever. Now, um, as you guys are watching this, uh, just know I've known Josh for... Too long. Two, seven years, <laughs> 10 years, a long time. Long time. And yep. uh, you know, we've been business partners, we've been friends, we, we're nerds together, we, we game together. Um, but I know that, Josh, e-commerce has been like a really big thing for you. Big time, yeah. But what would you say um, is one of the reasons why you got into e-commerce even in the first place? Um, well, you know, I so I was running an agency from 2013 all the way up until like uh, 2017. And then 2017, I just decided to make a strategic decision to really niche down into e-commerce. Yep. Um, because up to that point, I was working with professional service companies, info product sellers, e-commerce companies, you name it. And I noticed that consistently there was something that I was providing to e-commerce business owners that no other agency was providing. Okay. And on top of that too, e-commerce businesses didn't really know the strategies that I knew that I was also implementing uh, as an agency owner. And so I just saw the opportunity to really like get in there and uh, be an agency that really specializes in e-commerce scaling. And I've been doing it ever since. Dude, I, I love that. So what are you focused on right now for yourself before we get into the mistakes that, uh, that you made? What am I focused on right now? <clears throat> well, for one, being a good family man, but... Uh, Which I love, by the way. <laughs> uh, but two, um, honestly, I'm just trying to uh, do like a big, hairy, audacious goal and uh, roll up e-commerce businesses and make eight to nine plus figures once a year. Uh, over the next few years, do it once a year, and then semi-retire at 45. I love that. That's a, that's a very big, hairy, audacious goal, which yeah. I think is absolutely awesome. All right, so what would you say are those mistakes that you made? Like, what, what classic mistakes are people going to make in e-commerce? Um, well, I mean, uh, you know, I think first and foremost is just, um, you know, with, with marketing, you got to always test. You got to consistently test, and you got to you can't give up when it comes to testing, because I see that with a lot of e-commerce business owners is, you know, they'll throw some stuff out there and they'll give up. And, you know, I, I get it that there's uh, challenges of stress from paid advertising and, you know, budgeting and, you know, and cash flow is like the hardest thing about e-com because e-com, you've got a 15, 20% profit margin on average. And um, the two biggest bottlenecks of every e-com company is ad spend and supply chain. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't know supply chain until the last year and a half since I've been owning e-commerce businesses. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any, uh, any clue about the back end of it, of an operation when it comes to e-com. But, um, but yeah, I mean, marketing and advertising, I mean, number one, just being able to consistently test and, and, and not give up on that, you know, for one, because if you can unlock what paid advertising can do for an e-commerce company, you have limitless scale, really, as we both know, because of just, you know, ad channels out there and, how much traffic you can buy, as long as you know how to run advertising, you know, effectively, profitably, and also at scale. What would you say is the right kind of budget for a new e-commerce brand? Uh, I mean, uh, new, I mean, just get going. I mean, doesn't matter what the budget is. There, there isn't a right answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at least like $1,000 a month, I'd say. Okay, so about 1000 bucks a month. So let's let's use like a, a hypothetical situation. So um, I, I, have a, I have a friend uh, who's a DJ, and uh, my DJ friend is planning on starting a merch 
yep. website. Yep. Um, you know, they've never done this before. They've got no idea how to do it. Yep. Uh, they like the idea of selling t-shirts um, and uh, maybe like uh, like plush toys. Okay. Yep. How, how do they go about doing this? What do they do? Well, start with influencer marketing. That's okay. huge right now. You know, find like 10 to 20 people that are influencers in the niche that you're targeting that love the products also and then are happy to shoot content, video image content and get as much of that content as possible and then just use it to, to get it out there and then have like a special one-time offer for new customers, which you can obviously, when you're using pixels and you're setting up pixels and custom conversions, et cetera, like you can uh, really make sure that you're uh, offering a, a new customer offer without sacrificing your current customers. So are we thinking like they're going to sell Shopify store? Is that like the, yep. the thing you'd Oh yeah, 100%. Most? No, Shopify, yeah. Yeah. yeah so don't they, use anything else. Okay, yeah, got it. For sure. So for e-com, yep. they're going to sell up a Shopify store. They're going to build it up. They're going to get yep. contact, uh, say, 10 influencers, mm -hmm. film some content of the influencers using their product. Correct. Now you mentioned the supply chain issues are a concern. Yeah. Um, again, how can yeah. they combat that? You know, just try to plan ahead. I mean, but if you're launching, I mean, uh, you know, it's just make sure you have plenty of stock. You know, but even if you run out of stock, especially at launch, people are a little bit more forgiving, mm -hmm. you know, initially, especially if they, you know, if you're honest with people, if you're authentic and you put the messaging out there. And so if you run out of stock, you know, just change the offer to, you know, uh, pre-order our next, you know, supply. This way you don't have to give up on selling because, yeah. you know, sales is number one, cash is oxygen in every single business, no matter what type of business it is. Makes sense. All right. Yep. So I love that. All right. So they've got the store. Um, they've got some influencers that have created some content. What are they going to do with the content? Are they paying the influencers to promote it or are they going to turn that into ads? I mean, ideally you try to get them on a performance basis, you yeah. know, instead of paying them up front. Um, but if you do have to pay them up front, just make sure you have a scope that's tied to them getting paid. So, you know, itemized scope, they're providing, you know, three videos, 10 images, et cetera, you know, and just really build around that if you're going to pay. But, uh, but ideally you don't pay, you just, you pay for performance. And uh, you give them money on the back end if they convert. And that also incentivizes them to create really good content that actually is designed to convert as opposed to just, you know, half-assed content. Yeah. W would you set up affiliate links on site, inside Shopify? Is there a particular... Um, or no, you don't have to do affiliate links, um, promo codes. Just promo codes. Promo okay, codes. got it. Yeah. So you'd create a promo code so you can keep track of them. Mm -hmm. uh, does Shopify automatically pay them out off the back of promo codes? No, you, no, you still have them. to manage it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, which wouldn't yeah. be that terrible. All right. So um, what else would you say is another big mistake? Yeah. I mean, I mean, another big mistake would be uh, just trying to do everything yourself. You know, I mean, um, and that's just a common business mistake. It's not even just e-com, but... But I see that time and time again because we're buying e-com companies and we've bought smaller companies. Now we're buying bigger companies. And um, and every single time we're buying a small e-com company, the e-com business owner is trying to do everything. And um, and that's factored into the business on multiple levels. And and then we deal with the challenges of taking over that business since there's one guy wearing all the hats, you know, running that type of business. And so, you know, it's very important that you scale yourself out. This way you become a real CEO as quickly as possible. Um, and you know, don't be afraid to spend money on people because people is like the most powerful investment you can make with every single business. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think one of the things that I've seen happen with the e-com brands, especially when they first start is that they focus on drop shipping and they focus on selling a product and trying to find the right product versus building a brand. Mm -hmm. And I find that the e-com companies that make the most money are actually building a specific brand. Yeah. And then when you have a brand, it doesn't matter what product you sell because the people want to support that. So um, a, a good example is um, I have an artist I follow online and uh, he does very unique art. It's almost like white background, very dark uh, black inks of a, of, a, of a caricature, a, a, 
he does a lot of like um quite uh, a demonic imagery which is kind of cool because i'm a nerd and i like that stuff oh you're a nerd too you know um but he does these things and then what he'll do is he'll take that artwork and he'll create them as prints and then he'll take that artwork and he'll make them as a book and he'll take that artwork and you can have it as a coaster <clears throat> and then he just created that artwork and made a custom tarot deck and it's the same artwork he's made the same you know 100 images mm -hmm. But he's repurposing them, mm -hmm. and every time he promotes and says, "I've got a limited edition, a limited number of these tarot decks, a limited number of these books," people are going on there and buying it. And I love that mm -hmm. because it shows the brand is him, uh, his artwork. The product is not his artwork. The product is what his artwork is put on, mm -hmm. and the artwork is his intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And I love this company. Because it's somebody, you know, we think of the struggling artist. This is not a struggle. I mean, maybe he's struggling. I don't know, but he doesn't come across as a struggling artist. He comes across as somebody who has a brand, yep. has a uh, an, an intellectual property, and then is just slapping the intellectual property on everything. I think of it like Disney. Like Disney is three circles that pretty much rule the planet. And you can take those three circles and Disney can put it on a cup or put it on an iPhone case or put it on a on a pair of sneakers yeah. and suddenly you're like, oh, I've got to get the Disney yeah. thing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, w would you agree that that's a common problem that, that people make? They don't build a brand. Um, and are you seeing that there's less of the dropshipping model nowadays versus the branded model? Yeah, you know, um, so there is definitely less dropshipping happening. I've noticed that. And, um, and I think it comes uh, down to where the person's coming from. Like if he is in a place, he or she is in a place where they need to make money right away, then, you know, they may not have the patience or, or this, the endurance, you know, to really create a brand and, and take the slow play. Because as you know, it takes time um, to really build a real brand. Um, but I'm not, but that's super important to have like the most success you could possibly have in any type of business, whether it's e-commerce or any other type of business. Um, but for a lot of people, when you're really getting your business going, you know, you have to get cash coming in right away. And so you typically go to drop shipping. I think the key though is that if you do do that model, do it in a short term and then immediately get stock. So this way you control the supply chain and you have uh, the best possible customer experience as quickly as possible in the operation of the company. But then on top of that too, to your point, don't lose how important brand building actually is. And, um, and, and once you get that initial validation of your business, you've got a market, you're selling, you're making some money, you know, now put some time, put some energy, into creating a good process to build the brand and and keep it going long term. Be patient. This way, you build, like you said, a real brand. Because to have the most success, you have to have brand marketing and also direct response marketing at the same time. You yeah. can't just have one. I, I love that you mentioned that, man, because I, I think this is huge. For, for anyone listening to this, let's talk about the difference between brand marketing and direct response marketing. There are two big brands that I think of when it comes to direct response and brand marketing. Um, for brand marketing, I like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. So I used to work for PepsiCo. Um, well, I was technically Traitor. a contractor for PepsiCo. I know many, many years ago um, when I, I worked in in the corporate world. Yep. And at PepsiCo, we were trying to we were trying to beat Coca-Cola. Uh -huh. And we always used to joke that no matter what we do, anytime we run a big campaign, we can have you know we had Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake. Um, you know, we changed the color of Pepsi. We did everything we could. All Coca-Cola has to do is like, by the way, Coke still exists. And we would lose every time. They didn't need to do anything. They would be like, here's a polar bear drinking Coke. And we're like, ah, they beat us again. You know, like it, because, because no matter what, it's 
Pepsi Cola. Like we've, we've got their brand in our name. Like no matter what you do. Um, and so that's why Pepsi tries to go, have a Pepsi, have a Pepsi. A Pepsi what? This is Pepsi. No, Pepsi what though? Um, so brand marketing, Coca-Cola, because they were first, because they invented it and everyone's a copycat, Pepsi included, um, Coke just has to remind you they still exist and that Coke is refreshing. The end. That's it. Coke's refreshing. It's a hot day. You know you want a Coke. If you can't get a Coke, have a Pepsi. Whatever. Yeah. But get a Coke, you can always get a Coke. It's just, it's trust, you know, because Coke, like you said, yeah. has been established. They have a big trust, you know, across the world. And um, and when you're an upstart like Pepsi was and still is, really, if you think. Yo, it's always number two. Yeah, it's right. always trailing. Always. And so, like, it's trying to capture, you know, customers that are disappointed with Coke, which is few and far between. Because, I mean, we're talking about Coke. It's a very simple product. You, Dude, you can't get it wrong, necessarily. And, and I got I to gotta say this because there was an incident that happened. Pepsi... For the first time ever in the UK, at least, we outsold Coke in like a quarter or something. And it was like a big deal. Like we were all cheering and, and it might have even just been for 30 days, but like we, we won. The minute that happened, Coke did something that we had never seen before. They made a financial report that showed that our increase in sales had no impact on our stock value. And that tanked our stock value. That statement, they make one statement. And he, I just love the idea of Coke just sitting there big, you know, and you like yeah. poke their toe and they're like, oh, that hurt. Goodbye stock value. You know, like, wait, 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 you, you issued one statement. And the statement, because we were so focused on the brand and the public image, we didn't even think about the corporate brand. Because, but Coke, they were that far ahead of the game. They were that far ahead of the curve. And I think, and I'll talk about direct response in a second, but there is another company that's very good at branding, which is Nintendo. And uh, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know how true this is today, but I know that a few years ago, somebody once told me that they were working uh, with Nintendo and Nintendo has enough money in the bank that they don't have to sell another product ever again. And for 90 years, they don't have to fire a single employee. And that's why there are more consoles like Sony and, uh, and Microsoft. That's why they release consoles more often because they need to get the cash flowing. But Nintendo is over 100 years old as a company and started with playing cards and gone to video games. Yeah, Pachinko, I think, right? Yeah, right, yeah. And, yep. But they got into video games because it was just another form of gaming and they wanted to be ahead. Um, and it was really important. They gave up the phrase video game console because they wanted to encourage competition. And so they called their thing a Nintendo versus a video game console because they were worried they would lose their trademark if they called it a video game console and everyone called it a video game console and then they wouldn't be able to use it. So rather than fighting it, they released that that term. I mean, you, you can Google it and you can look into the, the history of it. But the point is, you know, Nintendo, not only are they winning, they can afford to fail for 20 years. And then pick it back up, hmm. which is why I like to think about Nintendo has a, a very strong play that they make one good console and then they update it and then they update it and then they update it while everyone else is reinventing the wheel over and over again. And then Nintendo's happy to lose for a while and then they'll come out with the next big new innovation to stay ahead of the curve. So branding, uh, branding marketing is very important. I think a lot of marketers don't do that one. Because they think that one's a waste of time, but it isn't. On the, you know, like you want to put your logo on stuff. Uh, just important, you know, make sure you do you put your logo everywhere, um, like wherever you can. Um, but also, in addition to branded marketing, 
you got to have that direct response marketing. So direct response marketing is when you're saying to somebody, if you want this thing, you need to respond to me directly. So a good example for Nintendo is Nintendo will say, we have a special promo code on these games today, go buy it. Or um, the, the brand that I think of that, that was really good with direct response marketing uh, is GoPro. And when GoPro first launched, they had TV ads and it said, text us if you want to get one of these GoPros. So it, it was very direct response. It was on television, but it was still direct response. Um, well, a key part of direct response is measurement. Right. You know, that's why they did that, because they could actually measure the budget that they put into TV and then they can match it against how much they're making from that promo code. Right. That's a key to direct response. Yeah. And so to me, any company that focuses on one or the other is going to struggle. If you're only in direct response, if that's the only thing you're building, the day you don't have a promotion is a day you don't make money. It's true. Yep. On the other hand, if you're only in branding, you have no control over the days when you make money. What should happen in every company, as far as I'm concerned, is a slow build on brand so people know what your brand is about while having a, a, a cycle or a wave of promotions that cycle through different products. So if, if we go back to an e-commerce store, um, you know, where you're an influencer and let's just say you've got t-shirts and you've got a cap and you've got a mug, right? So t-shirts, cap and a mug. For branding, you're going to be focusing on the fact that you're an influencer, you're going to talk about your brand and, uh, you know, you're going to put your artwork on the t-shirt, the cap and the mug. And then for one week, you're going to promote the t-shirt. Here's my t-shirt. Here's why it's cool. Here's another influencer using it. This week, we're doing a special on t-shirts, by the way. It's buy one, get one. Go here, use this promo code. T-shirt, t-shirt, t-shirt. Mm -hmm. The following week, t-shirt promo's gone. I'm sorry. If you wanted a t-shirt last week, you missed out if you didn't get one already. But today is, uh, is cap day. And I want to show you this cool cap. My buddy's got the cap. This guy's using the cap. We like wearing it backwards. My buddy wears three at a time. You can buy three if you want. We've got a special code. Buy one, get two free. Click here and get it. And now this week's all about caps. And then the following week, obviously, would all be about the mug. This cool mug. Here's what's great about it. Here's why I like it. Which brings us to the fourth week. What are we promoting on the fourth week? The brand. The fourth week, we move away from the direct response. And we just focus on delivering good content. Now, that would be a four-week cycle. I actually kind of prefer it when you think of your cycles not as weekly, but you think of it more as um, a cycle that happens over a few days. So I like the idea that I'm going to do, you know, two to three pieces of branded content where I'm focusing on my brand and I'm just giving value. And then I'll give a two to three or maybe four day promo where I'm going to sell something back to two to three days of a branded cycle. What I like is where you don't fit to the seven day week. I like a four day promo and a four day promo so that no one ever knows what day of the week things are happening. It changes. Yeah, it, it changes so that it doesn't look like there's a pattern and people don't start thinking, well, I'm going to ignore this guy on a Saturday because he's always trying to sell. And you, you instead get this really nice cycle. And so the, the average person is like, sometimes he sells, sometimes he gives away. Well, you have to have that mixed approach, you know, otherwise right. you're going to burn out your audience. That's the thing right. is that you have to, you know, consistently provide value on top of making offers. Like you have to have that mix. That's where brand direct response, you know, that balance comes in. Now I, I have a buddy that actually has a unique method and I, I'm going to be real. We're not, we're not adopting this yet. And the only reason we're not adopting it is Tom's fault. Uh, Tom's behind the camera right now. So Tom, we should be doing this. Um, but here's, I'm going to explain it again for why I think you should do this. Uh, my buddy's uh, Neo Davis. Uh, he's on Instagram. Totally worth checking out, by the way. I, I should get him on the podcast. We should, we should be able to get him on the podcast. But um, what Neo does is during the day, he only does free stuff and branded content. There's no money. And all he does is look at this cool thing I'm doing. 
and it's always relevant. Like, so he teaches people how to buy event spaces and how to turn a profit from them. So he'll be like, hey, I just uh, checking out this new event space. My buddy bought this event space. Oh, this woman bought an event space. It went really bad. Here's how we fixed it. Never selling anything. And then from 10 p.m. until 4 a.m., a sequence of promotions come up. Because he learned that people buy in the middle of the night when they're tired and stressed and bored. Because that's when you're most susceptible. And he has a sequence of stories that turn up. And the very first story is, um, you know, could be an example of like, um, are, you, are you like a night owl still awake this time of night? And you're like, heck yeah, I am. Yes, right? Yeah. And then the next one is like, hey, if you're anything like me, you're a night owl. This is where I do my best work. Um, one of the things I like to do at times like this is to think about how much money I made on my event space. Here's how much I made. Um, the next story is like, here's a story of how much somebody made with an event space. Uh, the next one is like, if I was looking to get an event space right now, um, this is how I would buy one. The next one is like, here's somebody else that made $30,000 from an event space. Yeah. By the way, uh, I'm only going to show this in the middle of the night. You like the offer stack. Right, you see what I mean? It's a late that. night flash sale. If you want to learn how to buy an event space and have me teach you, I'm only looking for five people that want to put 300 bucks down tonight. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to teach you how to buy an event space. Just write the word event, DM it to me. And in the morning, I'll talk to you. It's going to cost you 300 bucks. You'll get the link in the thing. And we'll sign up. I'll send it out tomorrow. Yep. And he goes, dude, he goes, all day, every day. But then at 4 a.m., the promotions vanish. You can't even sign up anymore. And so now you're back to looking at his content during the day. I go, I love this guy. He never sells anything. No, he only sells when you're tired, when you're done, when, you, when your brain isn't focused properly. And you're like, it's only 300 bucks. I get my credit card right now and swipe it, right? Yeah. And that is so strong <laughs> because if you go and look at his Instagram at any given point, you're like, oh, this guy doesn't sell anything until you're tired and lonely. You know, like, I love that. So anyway, but I, I just think that's so, but you just have to make sure that you turn it on and turn it off at the right yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a very strong way to go. Mm -hmm. um, how about you, do you have any, any hacks for, for, in, for like uh, e-commerce? I know like obviously you're buying companies and-, and Yeah, I mean, grow. the hack is uh, the R5 formula. Oh, nice. Okay, what's that? Yeah. Fill them in? So, yeah, yeah. So authority, reciprocity, monetization, the five profit amplifiers. You know, it's basically what we're talking about. We're talking about brand marketing and direct response. And uh, the ARM5 formula is all about making sure that you're doing both. This way you can maximize uh, your growth and your scale for, in your e-com business. Because, and, and, and the background of this is that, so we, we were running you know, an agency up until late 2021. And uh, we uh, developed the ARM5 formula like a few years before that. And we started just implementing it in all of our e-com clients. And um, it came from the fact that we saw like a consistency with e-com businesses and how we were getting just phenomenal ROAS, return on ad spend results, by making sure that we are really doing all the processes, all the systems within the ARM5 formula. And, um, and so we, uh, we started doing that so, you know, with all our brands and called it the ARM5 formula, and we just continued to see the same level of results. We're talking about like six to one returns, for example, on ad spend, or, or, or making 1,500% in one day off of $1,600 and making $145,000. I mean, ridiculous levels of like output. And that's just because of the fact that we... You know, we knew that it, as long as we're running content marketing strategy on a consistent basis, which is branding, which is what you're talking about, which is putting out valuable content consistently to your audience. And then you're also at the same time um, putting out offers on a consistent basis and being frequent with that. You know, you're going to see like those two systems really just play out and really produce some strong results. And there's a, a bunch of other key systems, systems but I don't want to go into you know, all the weeds and yeah, the science course. behind it. But, but the bottom line is that as long as you're putting out valuable content, you're creating an authority in the market, you're gonna get that value back in, in reciprocity. And then as long as you have really good offers, 
that converts and you're maximizing your uh, follow-up processes and making as many offers as possible on the back end while also balancing brand and direct response, then you're going to maximize your customer lifetime value and you're going to see your your ROAS from every dollar you spend on advertising be phenomenal. Even you know, even in today's you know uh, market, even in today's paid advertising that gets more and more challenging every single day, it still works. Yeah, I, I think you know when it comes to marketing, it's worth recognizing that every tool in your toolbox needs to be used. And I find a lot of people, they'll get good at ads and then they'll just like, oh, we're running ads and we're making sales, great. It's like, yeah, but then you've also got to do your email marketing follow-up because that's going to increase the lifetime value. Yeah. If you're getting like a 2X ROAS, like return on ad spend, but you're not doing email marketing, you're missing the 5X yeah. potential that will come from doing follow-up. And that's a mistake a lot of e-commerce companies make too, you know, as they focus on just new customer acquisition. They don't even worry about following up. They don't even worry about making more offers. They don't worry about you know, maximizing profit from everything. Do you know the data on how many companies in America actually do follow-up for upsells? I don't. Do you? 8% of American companies do follow-up. No surprise. 92% of companies in America have no follow-up email marketing sequence to a new customer they gain. Do you know the percentage likelihood? That's probably tied to the failure rate, huh? Oh, yes, dude. (laughs) It's funny because the failure rate's about ninety four percent, so you're not wrong. Yep. Okay, and then and then we'll go we'll go a step further. Do you know the uh, the percentage of conversion of sale for somebody who has already bought from you versus somebody who hasn't? Do you know the difference in the two? Mm-hmm. It's a five percent conversion rate mm-hmm. if they've never bought from you, mm-hmm. and it is. Oh yeah, a, it's much higher. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Yep. 5x more likely. Mm-hmm. So it goes up to a 25% conversion rate if they have bought yep. from you. I mean, just a typical e-com business, you know, you're doing 1% to 3% on the store, but then your customer return rate is 25 to 50% if you're running a really good business. Yeah, I, I like wording this way. It's 1 in 20 versus 1 in 4. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if so if you've got 100 people that have bought from you in the past, 25 of them will buy a second. I product. think 1 in 20 is generous too. Yeah I, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's more like one in a hundred or one in a thousand. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and but it blows me away because you know, and this is what we're focused on. Like in our company, we focus on helping people with upsells and generating more revenue. Like that's our, our big thing. That's huge. But it blows me away how many companies ignore that, and uh, and even when they hire us to come in and do it, they're like, "That's a great idea. We don't have time to implement it." I'm like, "You don't have time to double your revenue." Because it, it, I mean, it can, it realistically will quadruple the revenue. Yeah. But I like saying double because I feel more comfortable halving what I know I'm going to get them. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's mind blowing. But you, you got to imagine if someone pays you to do something, what else are they going to pay you to do? And, and look, here's a, here's a really good example. Let's just imagine, for example, that you are a plumber. And a plumber could be listening to this. He goes, that's not relevant to my job. When their toilet needs fixing, I'm going to fix it at the end. It's like, okay, cool. You fix their toilet. While you're there, do you say to them, hey, we fixed the toilet. Um, you know, we're just waiting for, for my assistant to tidy things up. While I'm looking around, um, I normally charge this much money to do a full house audit. I'm here already out of 10 bucks. 10 bucks, I'll do it right now. And I'll just let you know the areas of your house that could be improved. Mm-hmm. Now, probably do that for free because it's a potential sale, but you charge them 10 bucks. You just got 10 bucks on top of that or 20 bucks, whatever you'll charge them on top to go and do it. And it lets them say, no, I don't want you to do an audit, which again, based on the math, three out of four might say, 
but one in four should say, you know what, I'll pay that 20 bucks. Let's do that audit. And you've been given permission to go through the whole house and point out all the areas of improvement. Mm -hmm. Now you get to go around and say, that, that boiler needs updating. Yep. It's seven years old by the looks of it. I know you're going to need a new one. If it bursts, it's going to be that much harder to do. It's going to be an emergency job. If we plan it out now and we say we'll do it within the next three months, I can order the parts. I can get it done. Um, I can show you where it's going to burst. Like I can even say, hey, this is why that's going to burst. You don't have to hire me. You can wait for it to burst and get an, get somebody to do it. You know how much more money that plumber would make on every single job by going and doing that. And so I don't care what you do. I don't care whether you're a plumber or whether you've got an e-com store. You should do this. Yeah. Yeah. This applies. Yeah. You're yeah. Upsells, downsells. Yeah. I'm just getting people to say yes right after they've purchased. You know, make that first upsell offer just irresistible. Because that's a slippery slope. And then you can sell more. Yeah. And, uh, and here's a fun one. And I'd be curious about your view on this. After somebody makes a purchase... Is it better to make the next thing more expensive or cheaper? Cheaper. Cheaper. Yep. Nice. Yep. Just get them to say yes. Get them to click on that yes, you know, green button and then make more offers after that. Whether it's directly in the e-commerce store or whether it's on the back end and phone calls, maybe to like Mac to upsell, you know, upsell them into coaching, for example. Yep. Like we've got a bunch of supplement companies and we're in the process of implementing coaching, for example, because we know there's so much money in coaching. And the profit margins are ridiculous versus e-comp. Yeah. And so, you know, we're right now putting in place like a sales team. Then we're also, you know, launching those offers. And that, that's just going to increase the profits and increase the valuation of these companies. So this way we can go sell them next year. Dude, I love that. That's so freaking cool. So um, at the end of every episode, we always ask people, what do smart businesses do? So I'm, I'm going to ask you that in a second. Before we get to that, I do want to say for everybody watching this, if you're like, man, I love the idea of this, but selling just sounds complicated. I'm not sure. Please feel free. Go to thesmartblueprint.com forward slash gift. We're giving away our sales scripts completely for free. So you can just go there. You can download them. You can have it. Um, and I'd love you to have that because we really want to help you. Um, and uh, Josh, if people want to find out more about you before you give away this big tip, where can they, uh, where can they find yeah, out? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, just go ahead and go to uh, www.arm5formula.com. Arm5formula.com. A-R-M-5formula.com. That's great. And so, Josh, what do smart businesses do? Well, they hire you. <laughs> I mean, right? That's why I wore the shirt. <laughs> I appreciate it. Lions not sheep. Anyway, uh, shout out to, uh, you know, Sean Whalen. Um, I mean, honestly, what they do is... Uh, they implement, you know, um, if they're, if they're going to listen to this, if they're going to pay for coaching, they go out there and they take massive action because that's how you get the results. Mm -hmm. So you put the work in, you know, that's the bottom line. Yeah, dude, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, the biggest issue I find with most business owners is they're so busy doing the daily thing they do every day that they don't do the new thing that's going to stop them do it. Like I'll, uh, I'll, I'll hate on my best friend or one of my best friends, Lloyd, who's in the crowd, who I love to bits. And I can't tell you how many times I try putting Lloyd in a room where I can help him. And Lloyd's like, I've got a bunch of phone calls to make. I'm like, and I know you got phone calls. Like, I'm not saying you haven't got phone calls to make, by the way. But like, we get so caught up in the day today, Lloyd, you and me, that it's so important for us to have a day or two days or three days where our focus is stopping doing the day to day. Yeah, I get it. And yep. like, getting other people. It's challenging. I mean, it is. You yeah. just, you have to have like an 80 20 mindset. Um, and, um, a lot of people don't have that. And, uh, you know, you really have to condition yourself to have that over time, you know, whether it's, uh, by working with mentors, you know, or whether it's by reading, you know, books, um, and then of course, putting it into practice and doing it consistently and, you know, really like, you know, dictating your schedule, dictating your time and, uh, and knowing that, uh, your time is best spent on those higher dollar an hour activities, right. You know, like networking, yep. 
as you know, like the, your, your net worth is your network. Absolutely. And so, you know, if in that, you know, uh, situation, I mean, let, let go of the sales calls, get back to the sales calls later because one connection in that room can 10 X your business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think like, this is something that's like super important for everyone to recognize is if the day to day is stopping you doing the things that would move you ahead to where you want to be, you, you, you're doing it backwards. You got something wrong. Yeah. You, you know? got to keep working on it. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's a never ending work. I mean, operations, right. You know, and just being able to uh, scale yourself out and become a real CEO and work on a macro, not micro level. Um, but you gotta, you gotta put the work in, you gotta, you know, complete, completely commit to it and, um, and, and being relentless and getting to that point. But, but mo most importantly though, you also have to know how to turn off that impulse of, I got to do this. I got to do that. Instead, focus on the things that are really going to move the needle the most in your business. Yeah, I, I think 100%. Like, um, you know, and this is something just worth thinking about. I, I always think four grand a day, five days a week. If you do that, you're at 20 grand a week. And if you think of it that way, you're at 80 grand a month or 960 grand a year. It's about a million bucks. Give or take, you'll be okay. And as long as the focus isn't how do I make a million bucks this year, but the focus is, did I make four grand today? And what did I spend my time doing? And did my time make me four grand? You're going about it wrong. You know, you, as long as you're there, like you'll make a million bucks a year. And, uh, and it, it isn't hard, like 10 million's hard, 20 million's hard. A million's not hard. It, it really is. And, and you remember, I was a janitor who grew up in a project with no education. If I can grow up on a project where everyone was a drug dealer or out of work, and the only job I can get is as a janitor, and then I work my way up, I, I get you know other jobs to try and make myself better, I read and I improve, and if I can become somebody who's you know now worth eight figures, you can make a million bucks in a year, you can do it. But you gotta be focused on, I gotta get four grand in a day, and, you know, four grand is, what, two sales of two grand? Four sales of one grand? Um, you know, eight sales get of 500 small, bucks? Like, yeah, get it down to... Small, like, if it's If it's eight sales of 500 bucks, I got an hour, an hour to make 500 bucks, and I'm going to do that for eight hours. And what I love about this is I factored in your evenings off. I factored in your weekends off. I, I factored in time off. And if you decide to take three weeks vacation, oh, no, you only made 850, you'll be fine, right? You know, or whatever, it's a little bit less. But it, it's not hard, but it does take effort. You're going to have to do the thing. And most people don't want to do the thing. That TV show is more interesting. You know, your, the drama in your family is more interesting. All these other things are more interesting than sitting down and doing the work. But it is sitting down and doing the work that makes the difference. So, yep. um, so I'll make sure you do that. All right, um, guys, that is it from Josh Martin. Josh, thank yeah. you so much for coming, cool. buddy. Yeah, thanks, See you again, man. I'm glad we get to hang out. And that is it once again from all of us here at Smart Businesses. Do this. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.